that's more the challenge of our days that you know from a CFO perspective, you need to respond to your shareholders on these investments. On the other hand, you also need to give the freedom to kind of develop on these agile methods and reacting to different needs of the market. Hey, I'm Ross, and this is the CFO Playbook. Each week, you'll get insights from world-class finance leaders to help you grow your company and yourself and face the challenges required of today's finance leaders. Hi, Verpe. Thanks for joining us uh, on the CFO Playbook, and it's a, it's a pleasure to have you as a guest. Hi, Ross. Happy to be here, and thanks for the invitation. To jump right in, the one thing that's fascinating about your background is the, the way that you've navigated so many different roles, moving like seemingly not just within finance, but within commercial leadership, international expansion, even delving into culture and legal as well as areas. But now you've actually come back and you're firmly within that CFO position once again. Can you talk a little bit about that journey and, and whether the CFO role was, was always the goal for you? Very interesting question. I would say, has that always been the goal from the very beginning? I would guess not. I started, let's say, in a financial background, right, within the controlling department. So did I always had a, a certain or did numbers had a certain fascination for me? Yes, definitely. Or let's say it grew over time when I had the chance in the first startup at my toys, where I've had the chance to work for 15 years and kind of I joined them when they were really a startup of about 40 people. And when I left after 15 years, it was about 2000 people. So obviously a huge chance of growing with a company that I felt like getting more and more the opportunity to develop things, to create value add to the business, to our customers, which gave me more and more the idea, oh yeah, that that's really fascinating me as well to be in the role of developing and contributing more in a different role that kind of developed into that wish and also possibility to get into that CFO role where I found always the combination of a business view and translating that into numbers as a quite fascinating topic. So that I guess that your background would be very, well, very analytical by nature? I guess... If I go back, like say from my studies, that happened quite broad. It has been in economics and even more into a little, let's say, informatics. So not really, let's say, with tax or accounting. I For sure, you have to do this within the overall economies. And I always loved it, but it was not that I had a huge specification there. I was even more on the intercultural piece where I already wrote my thesis about. So that was more the, the idea I had in mind. <laughs> So from that early period, you were already thinking about or thinking with an international perspective and on, on, on different cultures as well. And so then it's almost as if, as if it was planned that, that a huge part of your career or, or in, in some seminal moments involved international expansion and, and moving into different markets and, and then trying to address those different cultures. Can you talk a little bit about that experience? Because again, reading on your background, that seems to have been a really pivotal moment in your career. Yeah, absolutely happy to. I guess it already raised, let's say, throughout my school career, if I may call school a career, but in terms of being in touch with different languages, I spent throughout my school time, four months in France and stuff. So you, you get more easily into touch with different languages and cultures in an early stage, right? I felt after two years within my first German work experience, although it was an international background, I really remembered was one of my desire to kind of go work abroad and really have that experience 
experience by working somewhere else and really experiencing the different culture in, in work life as well. And I remember the, the first idea was to go to France and then that was cancelled due to a different business decision. And then they came up with a proposal to go to the Netherlands. And I remember when I felt like, hmm, that's quite similar to Germany. So is that really abroad? <laughs> But luckily I decided to go because I learned that it was really different and that I really loved it a lot and that I could learn so much from different perspective as well how a different culture looks at to your home country, right? So <laughs> to kind of challenge and reflect on yourself and on certain behaviors, how you are kind of raised and influenced by the whole setup, your parents, the, the country, the school education. And I guess that was a very helpful early experience for me to kind of being challenged on what you feel is right or wrong, so to say, <laughs> as you're as a young person being raised, right? And always having that in mind, which helped me a lot throughout the next steps in the in international workplaces and also different experiences to have that learned quite early. Do you even draw on that experience now? And again, in your position of CFO, you're doing, you're looking multinationally, globally across very various markets and alongside that, trying to plan for that. Those exercises tend to be very analytical exercises because that's one of the ways to tackle it, of course. And the output is often very analytical in terms of investment plans. But then there's often that that qualitative cultural aspect that you have to combine, you know, the art with the science. So do you draw even now on those international experiences in your current role? Yeah, I guess that's helping a lot to understand that, right? In our business, from our uh, affiliate marketing perspective, if we look into advertisers and then, first of all, you look into a different market, let's take France as an example, right? Or the US, you look into the advertisers and then you first of all feel, well, I know these brands because you live there or you spend some time there. So you already have an idea that there are different challenges as well from the cultural background. So is that helpful to have an understanding on the pure analytical numbers and the pure, let's say, outcomes, as you were describing. Absolutely. I also feel that I do have the chance, let's say, to speak some other languages, right? And to get into contact then with the different colleagues of us in the different teams, it's always the icebreaker, right? Even if it might not be fluent, but no matter, it's kind of, you did some effort and and this is also helping to get in a complete different level immediately in the conversation and, and then trying to understand more of the background, why is the business developing into a certain direction? And I'm not saying that you can cannot do this without speaking the language. You're absolutely also well able, but it's a different way in approaching people. And yes, I would totally agree. Analytically is the one, but you also need to take still the different setups into consideration as well, the different perception of a business of different procedures. Yeah. I, am I right in saying that when you uh, moved to the Netherlands, well, in your first international experience professionally, was also it coincided with you taking on your first leadership role within finance? Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So you're mo moving culture, and you're go you're trying to settle into a new team, a new culture. So the, inherently, there's an aspect of like like outsider, um, not always a negative thing. It can, you can bring different perspectives. There's real value in that. But then on top of that, there's, okay, stepping up to be a leader for the first time, which is a, it can be a big leap depending on the, on the circumstances. So how did you approach that challenge? And, and was that, again, was that another aspect or a very formative experience early in your career? 
Yeah, I, I even could add an, a different challenge because, as you know, like if you're coming from the headquarter being sent to a local company, which was my case, obviously, let's say I wasn't very much welcome from our oval manager, from the manager there. He felt like, oh, there's the spy entering. I guess that's a kind of normal question. And my introduction was not, oh, there is your new, let's say, commercial director coming. It was more like, oh, she's coming. She's sent over from Berlin. Be nice to her, invite her to dinner, and then she might go away quite quickly. So it was not, let's say, the perfect setup you could have for your first leadership role. So indeed, that was quite challenging. Let's say nowadays, I perhaps might tackle that differently. But at that time, I felt like, okay, going for the very straightforward conversation, trying to liaise with the people, that's also how I understood how the briefing was given. Because to me, he didn't say that, right? I only got that through my conversation with my team, that how the briefing <laughs> was given to them. So, yeah, I think it was a quite honest, transparent way in talking to people and understanding like, look, this has been my purpose, why I'm here. That's the idea. So even though there might be a different setup you've been known at, this is where we need to go. And should we kind of align on a common perspective in terms of what's our target? Where is it where we want to achieve together? Yeah, I guess having that common vision made us become a team quite quickly. And yeah, again, coming from that cultural piece, as you can imagine, my Dutch wasn't fluent when I arrived. So I did a lot of funny mistake in the beginning. I think I could laugh on myself. So that might have been an advantage as well, that they felt quite comfortable. And then really showing, let's say, on my end as well, the contribution to write, to learn Dutch and to make sure, hey, I'm not kind of sticking here and expect you all to speak a foreign language. But it's me adapting to your local culture. I guess that at least that what I heard at that time was quite a, a plus as well. That's a fascinating experience and, and sounds so challenging because you're taking on that first role. You're moving, as I said, new country, but then you're actively undermined before you even start. Yep. But I mean, their challenges would even make you stronger, right? Yeah, true, true. That very true. That's a, that's a very uh, zen approach to, you know, the very enlightened. So, the, But you alluded to the fact that, so at that time, and I, I think even now looking back, the way that you approached it was a very pragmatic and clearly effective way to do it that ended up, as you said, leading to an even more engaged team. And in some ways, once you'd convinced them that you had like the right intent and you and you were able to build relationships, those relationships might have been even stronger. But then you alluded to the fact that you might have approached it differently today, given what you know now. So how would you have approached it if that again, if that if you were either advising someone who was in the same situation or you you faced a somewhat similar situation today? Yeah, I guess I would be much more straightforward addressing these topics instead of, you know, trying to find my way, biting me through in order to get there, kind of really getting to a very clear and honest communication with the manager at the time saying like, look, here's clearly what I've been sent here to. That's what I've been told. Do you have a different briefing, perhaps as a first question? If then, please let us clarify. If not, then please don't come up with your version of it, but just stick to our common version and make sure that we, I mean, at the end, I was there to support him, right? It was not my intention to fight him. It was the idea to support him, give him more transparency and guidance on the numbers. And that should help every business perspective to, to know how my numbers are looking. And this touches on a, a concept of that has come up with other guests that have been on the podcast, which is the idea of a business partnering. And effectively, what you were acting 
as in that point was of course is like the finance business partner and the, ultimately that person that the local country manager's objectives should have been yours. It should have been shared. You should have been an asset to him. So there was value in that. But clearly it was starting off from a defensive point from that their point of view. And then that undermined, again, the partnership because he didn't view it as a partnership. He viewed it as something almost like a, a hostile a hostile placement. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it wasn't that hostile, but yeah, indeed. Yeah, and I, I absolutely like that concept of the business partnering, as you were mentioning, because I feel that's the more, and if you have that beneficial partnership on both ends, right, then it's also okay that you know that sometimes that can be challenging because numbers are not always showing the nice world, right? They're also kind of showing some deficits or some question marks or processes which need improvement. But this is then also helpful if you have a trusted relation that you can say, hey, I'm flagging that because I want us together to improve the situation. It's not I'm flagging that because I want to blame you. That's, I think, is the biggest difference if you have a functioning business partnering relationship. So now I guess that it's a little bit different for you because, of course, your business partners are fundamentally the rest of the executive team, which is a very short, te- small team with an A-win. So I guess it's easier to build that relationship. And of course, those tend to be very tight. But of course, your team will be partnering with various people across the business and I guess implementing that business partnering approach. So how has that shaped your approach and how you guide your team in the way that they develop themselves as business partners to people across the organization? I felt very much when I joined Avon, that was actually a part which we were missing from, let's say, having that active business partnering from the commercial finance aspect. We do, as you were mentioning, we have a a global international business. So there are a lot of different regions with also different needs. And they need to have, from my perspective, that understanding of a business partner, that if I'm talking with the regional manager of the US, it's a different market, it's a different challenge, there are different advertisers, there are different chances on the market as well, as if I speak to the uh, colleague in Germany, in the UK or in Poland, right? And and having that understanding. So we build up a team and we also split up the different regions and the different tasks among them. And I would say now I'm really quite happy that we have built that team up and that we have found really great team members there and really great colleagues who are kind of filling into that position and really appreciated by the business. I would hope if they hear us all agree to that, <laughs> that they really see that as a, a beneficial partnership in delivering exactly that inside transparency into the numbers and also reaching out for support, right? If they have a question or if they want to work on a different business case to ask, hey, could we do that together? Could we look into the numbers? What kind of chances and risks do you see from a number perspective from your view on the business, which should actually be the core of that relation? And you touch on something that's really interesting there because, again, you give that that local cultural aspect. You, as you said, there, the US market is fundamentally different to, say, Germany or the UK. There, there's different dynamics there, cultural, but also from a, a kind of economic perspective. But one of the things that you had read is that in an interview with CFO Thought Leader that you'd actually said before you joined A1 that, or as you joined, it was more locally organized and you thought that it, they might, might benefit from a more global setup, which to some degree goes counter to the idea of like understanding local nuance. So how do you balance that approach? Because again, as a, as a global CFO, consistency like across the organization is often a sure way to scale and to drive change, but you need to have local relevance and local flexibility as well. So how do you balance that trade-off, which again, you get in very large complex organizations of local versus global? 
I guess definitely coming from, let's say, a tool and number perspective on the analytics, right? So it's very important that you get the same tool and that you don't start to kind of break down individual solutions when it comes from our analytics and numbers perspective, right? So there should be just a standard report, standard KPIs. They should follow the same definitions. And then you could kind of look into the differently and kind of have a different interpretation perhaps or a background on them. But I'm totally with that, that it needs to be a standardization on for different reasons, right? For first of all, it's a term definitely in terms of efficiency because it wouldn't be very efficient in using different tools everywhere. But it's also very much because we as a global business also would like to compare developments and numbers and therefore you need to rely on the same definitions on KPIs, for instance, and not having 15 different definitions on how to define a EBITDA, right? Or a GP or whatever. So that's also very much where it ticks in on the standardization, right? And also, I mean, finance, it's it's on controlling, but it's also on accounting piece, right? Where we need to make sure that our reporting is very much standardized. I mean, we're belonging to Axel Springer, so they're also reporting under IFRS to them. So there is a couple of standard framework which need to be delivered and this has been a huge effort we have put into that and still doing kind of standardizing a lot of this which can be standardized and I think that's very important but still giving the room in certain ends where it needs to have the local understanding and giving the room to also yeah understand that. And what you're saying that it reminds me of actually some of my own experiences. That so prior to Soldo, I, I spent time at Dropbox, and and we were one of the things we were trying to, to do all the time. Of course, was grow internationally and and expand the business. One of the leaders I worked with uh, very closely at that time, she was a, a huge fan. One of the first things she wanted to do was like a, a standardization project and process across uh, the business, and it was focused on like certain key metrics. And at the time, I didn't fully appreciate why that should be a priority. But with time of a pre in hindsight, and perhaps like alluding back to your earlier point, the benefit of hindsight, I realized why that's so powerful because once you've got that standardization, there's clarity and it's almost liberating to have that that shared understanding so that anything you do is building on top of that. And I wonder whether that's also the, the experience that you've seen or, or perhaps the value you see in that type of standardization. Yeah, absolutely. Because I guess even, which is already an interesting process because by standardizing, right, you need to already understand what's the status quo. Why is the situation different? And then you could still, on one hand, I guess, learn a little and kind of perhaps also take the best out of everything because it's not said because, again, that we're coming back to my first learning, right? Just because we are doing something out of the UK or out of Germany does not mean that this is the only right way to do it. So it's good to understand as well how others are doing it, but then aligning on one standard and just making sure that this is this, but you also had this understanding of why things are different and kind of putting that. And then once you have it there, you can easily compare, you can understand, you could also also perhaps even go any further if you feel like there are some processes which might be more efficiently set up, right, which might be a, a follow-up step out of this. So yeah, I think it's, it's a very valid base. And again, there might be as well a slight difference on getting numbers together and then how you work with them. And then I guess that's the subtle difference as well between reporting, which can be very standardized, but analysis can actually go in, in you know a myriad of different directions. And so the with your analysis, that that's where perhaps you'll empower and liberate your team to have the creativity to follow different approaches outside of the standard. Absolutely. Absolutely. As long as they're all kind of being based on the same database and the same base data, which is there. Yeah, absolutely. 
you've touched on the point of data and the, and the consistency that the sources of truth being familiar or common or agreed, that appears that that is a priority for you is one of the things you need to have right. Because if you have that, then again, you'll have certainty of, of everyone's looking at the same information and the same source of truth. Is, is that how you're looking at it? Yeah, absolutely. Because I feel if we go into any further discussions in our setup, we do have, let's say, virtual at the moment for sure, <laughs> country with us with our different regional uh, managers, right, where we're looking into the different regions and also for my colleagues in the board. Well, they need to look at always the same, let's say, definition of numbers. If they look, I mean, GP and stuff is pretty much standardized, right? But if we're looking into some other KPIs, I feel it's just it's a prerequisite. It's not a wishful thinking. It needs to be a prerequisite that if I look at KPI A, it's the same in every presentation as well for my colleague, our CEO, if he needs to run something, he needs to understand it's always the same number. He could not always ask like, oh, is that the same definition as I've seen yesterday? That's not a way how you can steer, I feel, any company, but the more international and diverse it gets, even the more important it is, I feel. I agree. We, and we've we've experienced that even, again, within Soldo, the way we run the business. Obviously, when you're at an earlier stage, you're finding your way into like, because there's a myriad of metrics, so you need to curate the best ones. And so within that, choosing which one is the best one is sometimes challenging. Alongside the, the most powerful or influential metric is the correct definition that is most recognized, you know, with investors or or the, or the external peers as well. So sometimes that uh, we found that that to be a, a huge challenge is the, the, the initial curation of the metrics. Yeah, yeah. You touched on something there that the, is an area that I wanted to explore with you, which is the remote work. So the idea that everyone is, is at the, for the moment, working anywhere that they can, as long as they can be efficient because of the nature of the pandemic and COVID. But that's something that you have championed and it's been actually, again, is a surprising string to your bow as a CFO, where you're you've been someone who has been a, a cultural champion and you've driven those initiatives and you're doing that within A1 at the moment. Could you talk a little bit about the the some of the changes that you've been trying to introduce with A1 and actually that why again that is something that you have been personally passionate about? Yeah, I'm ha happy to do. Um, I mean, it, it all ties together what we would call our Vision 2023. So that has been already existing, I would say, before COVID, but has been accelerated, obviously, through the COVID situation. As you rightly pointed out, we closed down our office mid of March 2020, let's say overnight, which great performance from our IT system system guys and everyone because we could literally, the whole global company worked from home without any trouble, which was a great experience and also great to see that everything worked out fine, right? And then we kind of felt in the first step that there are different, let's say, streams we would need to look at, right? One was, as you were touching, like this, we call it work wherever, whenever, so really give the flexibility to our staff to decide that they could work wherever they want, which is in the first step limited to all the locations or the countries where we do have even companies, right? So which is kind of 17 different countries where they could work and where we kind of clearly focus on, we want to get the work done and we don't care where people are kind of located, where they sit, where they do this. Throughout the COVID, we have seen this. This has been pretty 
normal, I guess, to almost every company. So this is one piece of, of our work stream, right? And this is this ties into another one, which is the redesign of all our offices, because we obviously felt that if people are coming back to the office, they are not coming back to this, I need to sit on my desk and do my work on my own, but I come back to the office because there is a team meeting, there is a creative workshop, there is this collaboration piece. So you need to have offices who can respond to that. So we had another task force who was completely running around around this redesign of the office. And I guess the third really big part was the introduction of the four-day week as part of the Vision 2023. So we started quite early in April 2020 to introduce the four-and-a-half-day week for Avon in order to kind of as well respond to the double challenging of whatever it was, homeschooling, home office, or taking care of any elderly people of the family. I mean, the whole different challenges which people faced throughout the COVID pandemic. And and we made great experience with this first trial period of the four and a half day week. We couldn't have seen any, first of all, our clients were totally happy. There were no kind of difficulties reported or whatever from that end. We had very much happy team members who were quite happy about that change. And we also haven't seen in our terms of our productivity KPIs, right? Nothing which really kind of have fallen behind. And that was the idea to go even one step further. And that's what we have done for 2021. So we are now in our six-month pilot phase of the introduction of our four-day week. We basically ask people to kind of do their work just in four days instead of five days. Payment remains the same. So, um, and we just expect them to do this in one day less. And you might say, wow, challenging, right? But obviously, I guess the huge difference is that we do this in order to give people more freedom to kind of well-being has a huge part in our culture and everything which we feel is important. And seeing that people are really loving that having one day off and do whatever they feel is the right one, what they want to do on this day, right? This can be family business, can be sport, there can be other personal thing that could be as well training, whatever they want. They're totally free on what they want to do on this day. And this is gaining so much more positive energy and a contribution that we, again, for sure, as a CFO, I also am looking at the numbers, how this is developing. And I could only kind of sneak preview that everything we have seen so far, we are still in our pilot to run is that this is all pointing into the right direction. We see the same or even an increased productivity, which gives us totally right that this is a great initiative. And we are really happy that the team has gone with us into that same enthusiasm and positive outcome. And perhaps just to finalize on those streams, for sure, we also gave them some support, right? We had an ease of workload stream there to support really how can we automate, how can we be more efficient in meetings and stuff like that in order to support this from one end, but also as important, the kind of a change of mindset, because that also comes along with a change type. And as we all know, change is always or could be sometimes a slightly difficult animal. So we also definitely felt that there is some support needed. So that was a different stream. And um, last but not least, for sure, the communication to make sure that everyone was always onboarded and that everyone was taking on our way. And I guess the biggest success to answer your question in there was that we really have built that together with the team. So we basically, when we decided that summer last year in June 2020, we kind of shared as a board our overall vision 
on that. And at that time, we didn't have all the concrete answers to whatever, right? We just shared the vision and said, look, we would love to answer all your detailed questions, but we need to work on that. And then we did like really a bottom-up approach. We had like 80 people out of our team volunteering to participate in that task force. And then we had this split it up. We had from each task force, like a group, two or three hats leading that different groups. And then we had regular catch-up. And I had the chance to kind of lead that task force through the last year almost. And that was just fantastic to see how much contribution was given by all our team members, by the hats off. And I mean, everyone had to go the extra mile because that was kindly on top of his or her usual job, so to say. And that was just great. I'm really so proud to see these results. It's fantastic. It's a fascinating initiative because it's it's a very contentious topic. You know, some people are opinionated on either side of it. Some believe it's absolutely the future of work, you know, to fewer days and the way we work is almost like a callback to the industrial revolution and everything we've inherited. And then others are think that, you know, you have to work Monday to Friday, otherwise you're a slacker. I think it's a fascinating experiment. There's so much in what you've spoken about that I'd love to delve into a little bit further. But the one that stands out to me is the change of mindset. Did you notice that any difference between people who were later in their career versus earlier in their career? Because there's a generational aspect to that. And then also there's a, the people who are perhaps more malleable to change and they have different attitudes. So did you see that within the response of your of your teams and their, the way that they embraced this experiment? Yeah, I'm not so sure if you have that correlation between kind of being later in the career and the one being more open or close to change, right? Because I think you could feel everything everywhere or you can find people everywhere. I feel that overall spoken from our Avon culture, and that's also definitely a culture piece, I guess, right? Work-life balance, well-being, as I mentioned, has always been a huge focus within our culture. So I guess we had already a team being perhaps more ready to that. And and you also had that global setup, right? We are much more used to that virtual work, not being able to have everyone physical. So that might definitely be a, let's say, beneficial starting point to, if you compare that to other companies, to be fair. On that mindset change, I guess, yes, we have seen as in every company. I mean, it would, would not be honest to say, no, no, we all only have people who already jumped on, on everything, right? I mean, for sure, you do have a, a mixture. But I feel that by giving so many different, we've worked a lot with use cases, best cases. So people, just colleagues who shared, obviously, hey, that's my success case. That's how I approached it. That's how I did it. And as we have had, different of these cases, right? I guess that also kind of persuaded, if I may say so, the ones who might have been a little more skeptical in the beginning because they felt that, oh, wow, yeah, I mean, if they do that, perhaps then I should also look at this from a different perspective. So I guess that was definitely one positive impact. Then, I mean, we do have there, we do have the business partnering again, right, from our HR team who has been absolutely as well supportive and questioning that. And we are also kind of working a lot with feedback to address those. We're having a peak and survey, which we're running every second week. We also included specifically four-day week questions into that to understand, okay, can we detect quite early whether there is still a workload issue, for instance, right? So people tend to work too much on four days in order to get the fifth day off and things like that. And in order to kind of address that proactively and talk to the different managers how we can improve situation. So I guess 
course, it would be wrong to say nobody was perhaps skeptical, but let's say the overall feedback which we got as well from post questions or whatever, it was always very much on cool, what a great initiative, really happy to contribute. Obviously, the pandemic has been incredibly hard worldwide and, and remains so in, in, in many places. But it's fascinating also to see how the restrictions that have led to a lot of these changes. And, and you, I think, were already on this journey and, and exploring it. But the, I think many other organizations are following now more than ever because of the way that remote working and distributed working and perhaps even reevaluating the work-life balance that has occurred a lot more in the past year or so. And the one point that, that I also find interesting that I'd love to touch on is that, so you, rather than be look at it quite simply and say, okay, take what you do today and then compress it, you actually said as well, the second part, which is let, let's take what we do today and let's be more efficient with automation where we can. And then of course we will do it in fewer days. So can you talk a little bit more about that automation? Because that's another theme that's cross-cutting and it's and very much prevalent for CFOs and in finance departments. So I'd love to know how you approach that automation and, and also specifically within your team. Yeah, I guess from overall what can be said, it has been quite a success story that we had introduced Asana as a project management tool in late summer last year. That was really a kind of a great success. And even if I say that from our, let's say, board perspective, for instance, right? If I remember who we have done that earlier when we had board meetings, there was always this question, oh, do we have minutes out of the board meeting, right? Who's taking care of that? Should we kind of put all these points together, ask one of our assistants to write that? So obviously a quite complicated resource intensive process, right? Now we're using Asana. We're putting all our different projects onto the next board meeting. Everyone, me, my colleagues are kind of putting them in there. If we have something to report or just like a decision, we just put it in Asana. It's clear for everyone. Our EAs can just access that. So just an easy, a very easy example of how how much it kind of brought us to a next level, so to say. And we're doing this very much if it comes to more cross-departmental collaboration. Asana is just a great tool instead of having a lot of email ping pong and then Excel files shared and whatever. You can just kind of put all the clear tasks there together. You can work with deadlines. You can attach files, etc. So I guess this has been overall from the company, really a huge improvement in kind of bringing us to a next level. Also to mention, we have looked into, I would say, ways of how to organize, right? So again, I think it's not a new one, right? To review your meeting policy. Is it really necessary to have everyone in there? Because virtual is so easy. You just add people, right? They don't need to travel. <laughs> so is that really efficient? Is one hour the right meeting time? Can you do it? I mean, our colleagues in Australia, our CEO, he even was, he has cut the, every meeting down to 30 minutes. He said, if you're not able to put your message into 30 minutes, you need to rethink. And I mean, these kind of different approaches, right? Everyone needs to find what's the right calibration. And what we have done within finance specifically to answer to, to that question, we have worked already on a couple of automation tools, so to say. So we introduced LucaNet as a tool for consolidation and as well uh, part of the reporting overall, right, as well from a balance sheet and cash flow perspective, which is helping us a lot and bringing us to a different level away from Excel, from our good old Excel. <laughs> and we've also introduced a new system for our budgeting process in a combination of Tableau and K4 in order to also bring that to a next level, getting away from a lot of intensive Excel files, which 
I mean, also to be fair, introduction of a new tool never runs like this and is an easy onboarding in the first year. But let's say we definitely have seen first efficiency within our teams and we now need to work on to get that to a next level. But this has been just some examples where we have done recently. And this touches on the idea of, of digital transformation, which I know is the theme that has been running for a long, long time. I, in, a, in a long, pa distant past life, I was a consultant, so I'm a recovering consultant, and we were always speaking about digital transformation back then, and it's been this evergreen theme. And because, of course, you know, these technologies are having transformative effects, some big, some small, in, in so many different companies and, and aspects of our life. But that touches on another thing, that a strand throughout your career where you've always been a pioneer of digital transformation, both within finance and across the organizations. So that passion, again, fit very nicely with the idea of this new philosophy towards working that you're leading the workforce on. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that it's also, you know, I think that tie, where automation and also well-being ties in very well and together because, I mean, overall, there might be some exception, but overall, as a human being, it's great if you can build something new, if you can add value, add to something and not being kept to a repetitive task to do, right? So if you can obviously have some smarter ways of working in order to get that done by a computer, by a routine, an algorithm, whatever it is, and kind of rather spend your time into really delivering value add to the business, to your customer, to the process, to your internal customer, no matter who it is, I think that's always much more fulfilling in terms of work, which also ties into very much, am I happy with my job? Is that a well-being aspect? If I feel stressed constantly on what I need to do, and if I constantly kind of unhappy with some manual processes, which are error prone and all that, that's not helping us. So I think that ties very well in together with as well our company culture. And I can see that. So that theme of automation beyond, of course, tying into that cultural transformation that you're leading I guess it also touches on to the idea of why you and your role are having to adapt because the role of the CFO is changing. There's certainly a strong argument that the role of the CFO is changing over time. And is that a position, um, an argument that you agree with, that that role is evolving? And, and, and if you do agree, like, how do you see that evolving further? I absolutely would agree that this is evolving, although I need to say that perhaps I've made a slight different experience in my personal career, but that might be due to the fact that coming from the MyToy startup background, right, and they're also being responsible for the international business, I always had a broader view than perhaps what you classically would have defined 20 years ago as a CFO only being limited to accounting controlling taxes and don't dare to speak about anything else if I might exaggerate a little right this has never been my role but I, I understand where you're coming from and if this has been the role I would totally agree that that changes more to at the end, it's perhaps even being that business partner term, if we might use that, right? Being much more the business partner to the business. I feel it should be a great sparing part, not only to the CEO, but also to the CTO or CCO or whomever you have in the, in the structure, right? To the, to the exec board. Two things. I think on one hand, translate new ideas into numbers in order to make sure, okay, what is the impact or what is the chance or risk on those things, right? But also by pointing out the right KPIs and stories to kind of perhaps indicate where could we go any further, where are some points that we need to look at. And I also feel that our fast changing environment, right, is kind of constantly 
bringing new questions to that, right? I think we have seen a lot of agile development within the IT right now, right? So is that in line with earlier we had clear KPIs, investment, waterfall, programming, okay? Now you go into agile creative space and you still need to find a proper measurement for that, which is not an easy one, right? Which I guess it's more the challenge of our days, so to say, that you know from a CFO perspective, you need to respond to your shareholders on these investments. On the other hand, you also need to give the freedom to kind of develop on these agile methods and reacting to different needs of the market. So I guess these are new challenges and evolving of that role, where again, you come more in that sparing partner role on different questions, I guess. This is a quick one, but the agile methodology, that, that's, a, again, another transformation way of working, started off with as an engineering culture, but it's permeating almost a way of working across different teams. And again, it's all though we use that within our creative teams, we use it within marketing, as well as, of course, our technology and product teams. <laughs> Could you ever see the agile methodology being used within finance? To be honest, we have discussed with the leadership teams on some focus areas and one of our focus areas is the agile methodology. And one of my colleagues where you would even expect, let's say, he's responsible for tax and compliance. So where you would perhaps not suspect the first one to be on the agile side, right? He has voted for that and said, I really like that. I'm fascinating by this. So let's get a better understanding within our finance culture. Let's understand where does it make sense, right? I think it's also not the point, just use it for the sake of using it, but making sure where is the right application fields or projects. And yeah, how can we learn from that? How can we take as well elements like doing a post-mortem on a project and stuff like that? So indeed, we are trying to pick the right elements for us and trying to bring that into the finance world as well. Perhaps one last question. And then I, thinking of our listeners, we have listeners, many listeners similar to you that are CFOs, but there's also a lot who are aspiring CFOs or at least considering that and touching on that point that you were just talking about there, about the, the evolving role of the CFO. Perhaps you were a pioneer, you were two decades ahead of the game. The role of the CFO is, is evolving you know, to where you already started. Maybe that's it. With that in mind, would there be any, given that you're in that position and you can see it from that level, would there be any advice that you would give to others who, who are aspiring to become a CFO one day as to what they could do to prepare themselves for that role? I guess, I mean, obviously from having the interest in numbers and analytical background, I guess that's that's given, right? But I feel that having that idea of that business partnering, right, which is always having, I would perhaps even call it perhaps this entrepreneurial way of thinking, right, which is really adding value to the business from that analytical number perspective. This should be something which should be fascinating you or something which you perhaps should try to train yourself, right, in whatever current position someone is, because I, I'm pretty sure that this business partnering and, and value adding to the business is something you could do from different perspective, whatever your starting point is, right? So that would be something I think it's kind of a prerequisite, I would perhaps even dare to call it <laughs> from my perspective again, right? I would feel that this is also perhaps this changing of the role, right? If we come to that picture you painted into that 20 years ago CFO who also might have been number crunching, not very talkative somewhere in the corner. I mean, being a CFO, I'm allowed to say so. <laughs> 
So I guess that this changed as well nowadays, right? That it's much more outgoing with the business, being partner on eye level. So that's definitely something, if you're not already there, that makes sense as well to understand this is a very relevant component or important component as well, that you get that. And then I feel just make sure you want that and kind of as well fight for what you have in mind in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that that is good advice all around, not just for aspiring CFOs, but for, for anyone who's looking to, to grow in their career and progress into more senior positions. Verpi, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic to have you as a guest. So many insights there for me and, and for our listeners as well. If our listeners wanted to follow you or connect with you um, separate to this, where should they go to find you? I guess the easiest one would be LinkedIn. And luckily with my first name, it shouldn't be difficult to find me. <laughs> and also happy, I mean, you can do it through LinkedIn, but you could also reach out directly. It's uh, verpi.richter at avon.com. So that might be also quite easy. I'm happy to also answer to your email. That's fantastic. Very generous of you, Verpi. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Ross. Thank you for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share it with someone that you think would enjoy it. CFO Playbook is brought to you by Solvo, the number one corporate card and spend management platform. Learn more at soldo.com.